in the house of God amongst the brethren, worshipping the Lord. We're all set, praise God. Our Ephesians chapter uh, 5, we're in, in this particular series we've been looking at. and uh, The theme is clear, walk, walk and walk <laughs> is um, where we've moved to in the book of Ephesians. From sit, walk, and uh, we'll move to stand at some point shortly. But uh, the issue of the Christian walk is what Paul is or has in mind and is continuing to make really a great emphasis upon in, uh, in our walk with the Lord. And so having gone from the lofty heights of our position in Christ, being seated in heavenly places... He's moved to a very practical realm of instruction on how to live the Christian life, on how we ought to conduct ourselves, on how we ought to walk as a Christian. And so this is important because how we walk as a Christian either gives credibility to the testimony of Christ or it can dishonour Christ in the, way, in the way in which we conduct ourselves. I mean, we are ambassadors, we are light, as Paul has talked about in, in previously. And so the whole way in which we live and conduct ourselves gives credibility to Christ or it can dishonour him. And it's in that light, as we think about that, that it is important how we walk because as is the exhortation in the beginning of chapter 4, it is to walk worthy before the Lord. That's the desire, that's the motivation, that's what should be our aim to walk worthy and in a manner that is fully pleasing to him. And so Paul has been touching upon various aspects of unity and of the new man and of walking not like the rest of the Gentiles walk, but as a new creation in Christ Jesus. We've, been, we've seen also to walk in love, to walk in light. And now we're going to move to some other aspects as we read and we're going to uh, move through these but um, we're going to see the need to walk in wisdom. Um, and then Paul's going to extend that practically to other areas such as marriage. And so, and not only marriage, but he'll address uh, aspects of um, uh, ch- uh, parenting, children, fathers. He'll go further than that and even talk about um, our, our workplace and, our, where we, uh, and the way in which we conduct ourselves on the job and, and uh, being a servant and, um, uh, in this case, slaves he's even addressing and also masters, those that uh, are in positions of authority as well. So again, you can see there's, there's many aspects that Paul's touching upon as he considers the walk. And so, and thrown in with all of this is a glorious truth within chapter 5, especially as Paul talks about marriage, which he, uh, he kind of uh, diverts to illustrate for us marriage, but it's, the, it's the, the great mystery that has been revealed, and that is of Christ and the church. So from a practical instruction, he deviates and he, he, he brings us a, an understanding of the mystery that has been revealed, Christ and the church. And what a glorious truth it is. So let's read Ephesians 5. We'll start at um, verse 15. And we'll go through to verse uh, chapter 6 actually, but let's read it together. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as Christ also is head of the church. For he is the saviour of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. 
Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any other such thing, but that she should be holy and without uh, blemish. So husbands ought to love their wives or own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, um, uh, uh, of his flesh and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you, you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bringing them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleases, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free, and you masters do the same thing to them, giving up uh, threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Now there's a lot here obviously that we can go right into but I want to stick to the, the general theme and I want to just follow Paul's thought in its simplicity um, rather than di diverting into aspects especially when it comes to Christ and the church. We could just go right out and uh, look at that. But I don't want to, other than reference to it, to the degree that Paul is speaking about marriage, uh, we will look at that, but I don't want to go right into that side of it uh, as such. But let's look firstly, because Paul says in verse 15, See then that you walk, there's that word again, walk, that you walk circumspectly, not as uh, fools, but as wise. Now then, again, this is being tied to what he has just previously spoken. And having spoken previously about walking in light, he made reference to the fact that we are to live, in, we are light in the Lord, and we are to walk as children of light, and that we are to live and conduct ourselves, especially uh, before the world around us that is in darkness, that is blinded and uh, in darkness. That we are to be light in the Lord, and they are to see Christ through us, and that they would come to be, uh, you know, awakened out of their sleep, and they would come to the light, so to speak. And so he was emphasising the fact that we are to expose the unfruitful works of darkness, that we are to speak up and we are to bear a testimony, not just in conduct, but the way in which we speak and renounce those things that are evil and wicked and ungodly before the Lord. And in doing that, we are bearing testimony in the hope that through our testimony as ambassadors of Christ, as though God were pleading through us, uh, that people would come to experience the salvation of God. It's in light of that that Paul says, See then, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. And so it is very important that we walk, in, in this instance, that we walk in wisdom. You know, wisdom is the application of knowledge, that we would understand how we ought to conduct ourselves and make those applications in the life in which we live as Christians. You see, walk circumspectly. Some other translations would say walk carefully. Be careful, or the thought that Paul is actually bringing forward and before us is this word uh, circumspectly in the Greek literally means uh, to be diligent, to be perfect, to be exact. Or in other words, as we walk, <coughs> we must make the emphasis and uh, the effort must be there, the intent must be there. To word, the Greek word that comes from a root word means to be exact, to be the most straight. 
And so that, that is, is that we are seeking to walk upon that straight and narrow path. And uh, in doing so, as we walk circumspectly, as we with intent and with wisdom walk in a manner that is perfect, that is exact, that is straight, not deviating as such, then in this way we are walking with wisdom. We are very careful in the manner in which we walk. This means that we're thoughtful. This means that we are considerate. We are, we are thinking about what we are doing and how we are doing it rather than, you know, well, we've all probably done it before but we have foot and mouth disease, we speak before we think and things like that and so we've all played the fool in some way, no doubt. But nevertheless, the exhortation is to be wise, not as fools but as wise. We can't just expect to be haphazard and, un, uh, and without intent and just spontaneous. We must be deliberate in our approach uh, to walk, be diligent to walk in a manner that is acceptable before the Lord. Verse 16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. You see again, you know, redeem the time. The time is such that We're living from day to day, from hour to hour, from week to week, year to year and we realise the older we get that that life is so short and the time just... And we are to redeem the time. In other words, we are to make use of the time in such a way, especially as it relates to the kingdom of God and the purposes of God, that we we are living in such a way that we're not just haphazard. We're not just time wasters. We're not just frivolous in the way in which we go about things from day to day and just, you know, she'll be right, mate, just take it as it comes approach. But no, we are deliberate. We are with intent. And this is what Paul's saying, redeeming the time because the days are evil and surely the world that we're living in is swept up in the euphoria of everything that is the world. But the world is passing away. The days are evil in which we live and we are to redeem the time and make it useful, amen, for the glory of God, for the purpose of God and for the plan of God. That's why Paul will say in verse 17, Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand what the will of the Lord is. I mean this can be understood in various ways. But nevertheless, the idea is, again, that we're not in the dark, we're not without understanding, that we know what we ought to be doing. And that, is, uh, uh, that incorporates a few things, but just as simply as to what is right. We understand what is right and what is wrong. We understand um, uh, as we pray and walk before the Lord, especially say, well, God, what is your will for me? So God has a plan and a purpose for for your life uh, and we must seek God to understand the will of the Lord. We can understand the will of the Lord in other aspects that relate to the Gospel and the Great Commission. Understand the personal responsibility to, to witness and to preach the Gospel and to facilitate missions and to give to the cause of Christ. We understand the need and, the, and, our, and participate and be a part of that. We understand that the days are evil, that the world is coming to an end, that Jesus is coming back and we're looking for our blessed uh, hope. Amen. We understand the will of the Lord. We understand the time in which we're living in, how we ought to live and conduct ourselves and walk circumspectly or work with wisdom as Paul would be telling us here. And now he would go further. Don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is and don't be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now we can look at that and say, well, well, obviously don't be drunk with wine. I mean, um, uh, in a literal sense, obviously uh, the Bible condemns drunkenness. But at the same time we can understand that then don't be drunk with wine in which there is excess or which, in which is dissipation or in other words, spiritually speaking, we can fill ourselves with the excesses of life and with things that are frivolous and of no real eternal value and, uh, but yet to, to we are being told to be filled with the Spirit. 
Be filled with the Spirit. And isn't it interesting that in chapter 4 earlier, Paul would tell us not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Because, uh, and in doing so, we can quench the Spirit. So we can't live in the fullness of the Spirit and be filled with the Spirit if we're not walking properly, can we? That speaks for itself. And so in this instance, in understanding the will of the Lord, we are to be filled with the Spirit and not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, be filled with God, be filled with the fullness of God and appropriate that and walk in that from day to day. And that really is a a life that must be maintained as a Christian. Can you say Amen. It's just not something that's just going to. I was about, you know, I was filled with the Spirit 20 years ago, and it's never, it's never been filled since. Really? <laughs> like I know times where we're in, in just in the functioning of life, in the mundane of life, and just going through. Uh, we've all experienced various times of dryness, maybe, and and whatever else, or we've just kind of neglected our Bible reading or our prayer or our seeking the Lord and that leads to spiritual dryness we don't have a sense of fullness then do we be filled with the spirit don't fill yourself with other things because once you begin to fill yourself with the things of the world you'll thirst again Drink from the wrong wells and you'll thirst again, Jesus said. But he who believes on me, out of his belly shall flow. Yeah, a river of life, a fountain that flows into everlasting life. And that's the fullness of the Spirit. Christ in us, the the Spirit of God in us, and we are walking in that fullness. Be filled with the Spirit. And how? How are we filled with the Spirit? What's the evidence of this? Verse 19, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Really, that is a, a, a sign that you're filled with the Spirit. When, you're, you know, when you can't just help but worship God, just to break out in a song. And just make melody in your heart to the Lord because your mind is constantly fixed upon God, thinking upon God. Because from day to day you just have a love for the Lord that just leads to spontaneous worship, a spontaneous breakout in a song, singing spiritual songs and hymns. Or you can listen to, you know, all the other garbage that's on the radio, amen? All the worldly stuff that you can fill into your head. And I've said this before and I don't want to dwell on it, but again, the evidence of being filled with the Spirit is uh, we, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And when you're filled with the Spirit, you can't but not sing unto the Lord. It's just a natural thing. Making melody in your heart to the Lord. Verse 20, he finds this expression in giving thanks in the way in which we speak. Again, we can't help but be thankful, understanding God's goodness and God's grace towards us. So we're filled with thanksgiving. Um, And then verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of God. And just walking in a manner that is submissive to one another and is of respecting of one another. That is uh, serving one another. And so you can begin to see here how Paul is touching upon these things. Walk in love, walk in light, walk in wisdom. And and, and so walk walk circumspectly. And we see how these things are emphasised. Be filled with the Spirit is the foundation of that. But it's interesting, as Paul writes in verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of God, it's like... He's, the words, uh, he has a picture of where he's going to go next because he shifts. He really does shift in his approach and in his thinking and what he writes and as he talks about submitting to one another in the fear of God, his mind is automatically drawn and inspired by the Spirit to think about and give instructions concerning marriage because his first words are in verse 22, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now think about this for a moment. We have to stop and just make consideration because marriage is, is, is such an important thing. Marriage 
It's part of the walk, especially for those Christians, it's part of the walk, isn't it? Marriage is part of our Christian walk for those that are married. And so really it's important that we understand what's involved here because Paul has two aspects as he introduces this concept of marriage. He has two things in his mind. He obviously, oh, a few things actually. He's talking to husbands and wives and he's talking and he deviates out of this to concerns the Christ and the church. And he wants to address the issue of marriage. And he does it firstly by saying in verse 22, Wives, submit to your own husbands. Now, the word submit has become a dirty word in this generation for various reasons. But the way you talk about submission, I mean, we submit to one another, but Paul specifically says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So how will we make sense of that? The world would read that and say, oh, that's archaic. Oh, that's just male dominance. Wives submit. It's funny because I have jokes with my daughter, Hannah. She's sitting there smiling. I said, you'll enjoy my sermon on Sunday, Hannah. <laughs> and that word submit, because I tell you, in the, in, in the classroom amongst the, 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 the push of feminism and everything that goes on, this word submit just kind of goes right against the grain. It just hits it hard. It's like submit. Ooh, what do you mean by that? I know, I'm imitating Hannah. <laughs> And so, uh, so it's interesting because the scripture says here that wives are to submit to their own husbands. And so we have to understand because Paul's not talking about men are to be dominant, that they are to be controlling. See, that's the picture. When we hear that word submit, somehow it creates this picture of some male over-controlling, over-domineering and just wanting to dictate. That's not what Paul's even got in his mind as he's writing this. In actual fact, what Paul is talking about when he speaks about wives submit to your own husbands is he's talking about God's order. And he's talking about leadership. Two issues here that are at the forefront of his mind according to the purpose of God. That is God's order and it is God's, and God's established leadership. You can't discount these things. They are there. This has got nothing to do with men being superior to women or vice versa or anything of that sort. It's got nothing to do with that. It's got to do with God's order and his order of leadership. And when you understand that and you understand what Paul is emphasising, then you begin to see the recipe of a successful biblical marriage. Not as the world tells us or where the world is heading. Look at verse 23. Now Paul makes this statement, so he, he's obviously now going to clarify what it means and how it works. Look at verse 23. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the saviour of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. You see, Paul is now drawing upon marriage in the literal sense and he's speaking now and diverts to the spiritual reality of Christ and the church to illustrate it. As Christ is the head of the church, so is the man head of the woman. You see, this, Paul would argue, uh, will, will illustrate this in other places, uh, that man was made first and then the woman. woman came from man. It's just an order. It's got nothing to do with anything else other than God's order and his established leadership. And he's illustrating this by Christ and the church. As the church is subject to uh, the head, which is Christ, so too is the woman to be subjected to the husband, who is the head. Now this word uh, um, subject or submit, you have to understand that in this word submission, it means the, it carries the idea of adapting to through submission. Adapting to the leadership of the husband. 
adapting to, to the headship of the husband. You see, you've got to understand in God's order, the man, through in partnership with his wife, this has got nothing of an, this is not speaking of some independent individual. Don't even misunderstand me. The whole issue of marriage is a relational partnership. But I'm saying that there is an element of leadership as is established in the word. And so that through an adaption of submission, and, and as Paul would say, as unto the Lord, wives submit to your husbands, your own husbands, as to the Lord. As you submit to God, in the same manner, submit to your husband. And uh, because the, the, the role and responsibility that a man has in God's order of things is he sets forth and leads the home. He sets forth a standard of leadership in which, as the head of the home, he is seeking to lead his family, to love and provide for his wife. He's seeking to, um, 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 to lead his children, the, uh, the children of the, uh, of the marriage, in such a way to establish spiritual leadership. And to do this effectively, then the wife must understand in her partnership with him, there is also an aspect of submission or adapting through submission to that whole purpose. This is how I understand it. This is how the Bible is putting this forth. You see, this truth is being lost in this generation because uh, the whole feminist movement that has uh, 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 gone on in in the world for the last, what, 60, 70 years especially, and now it's, it's you know it's it's all about power to women, power to women. But you see, there is an inherent danger in all of this. You can't violate God's order without consequence. And this is what's happening in the world, but it's not to be characterised in the church. And this is very very important. This is why we don't uh, 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 ordain women pastors. Because it violates the order. If a man desires the position of a bishop, an overseer, because the order is such in terms of God's leadership. Now this might not sit well with some, I don't know, but I'm just telling you the way that I understand the scriptures, it is clear. And so, uh, this is, and so where we, in the world we have everyone's uh, wanting to push forth women into all of these positions of uh, of, of uh, of leadership, and uh, I'm not saying that they're not capable. They're more than capable. In some instances, maybe more capable than men. But that's not the point. It's not the point. And so, what we, this is what you know. Now they want to introduce quotas into Parliament. It's got nothing to do now with uh, whether you're qualified. Just quotas. You see, this becomes dangerous. This becomes problematic. And we can't let this mentality infiltrate the church. You see, the whole issue of feminism has destroyed the biblical concept of marriage. And I know that uh, and acknowledge that abuses exist. I haven't been a perfect husband and father. We all have our flaws. We all struggle in these areas. None of us are perfect. Actually, because of the whole issue of the curse of sin, it plays itself out in the man and in the woman. And in actual fact, what is it that God said to Eve? Your desire shall be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. In other words, your desire shall be to rule your husband. That word desire doesn't mean I'm just going to have so much love and affection for you. It actually means, if you study the Hebrew, to rule over. Your desire shall be to rule over your husband. That's what God is saying, but he shall rule over you. And so, but this is in a in a manner that is uh, unbalanced because men tend can can tend to be domineering, can't they? Men can tend to dominate, and that's their flaw, it's their weaknesses. And so, in wanting to establish leadership, there can be much abuse of leadership. I acknowledge it. I agree. We see it. But that doesn't mean we dis- dis- discredit it. There is God's order. There's God, the principle in Scripture. You see, where the woman gains a position of leadership in a marriage and exercises the role that a man should be performing, 
I guarantee you have reversed God's order and there will be consequences. Why? Because I know God's word. And I've been long around long enough now to see that where uh, this, this is reversed and where a woman uh, can, can, you know, dominates the husband in such a way and leads in such a way that she's the, the primary decision maker and she's the matriarch of the family and so forth, you're, you're, you've got a recipe for ongoing problems. You'll have problems within the marriage and men can't be men in the manner that God requires them. And when they try to lead, they're just neutered. And this is what's happening in our society. They're emasculating men. You see, sure, we've got to train boys to become men, to learn how to lead. But this is what we're talking about. We're talking about leadership and we're talking about the role of a woman, in this instance, to submit to her husband. And so I, I pray that you understand my point this morning because it's clear in the Bible. So this leads to the question, then how is the man to lead his wife? Well, here's where it starts. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. There you go. That's where it starts. It starts with the man learning to love his wife. And I know the man says, I love you, but learning to love in a manner that is as Christ loves the church, that doesn't come natural to the man. He has to learn that. And and so again, because of, of sin... The sin has corrupted the male in certain ways and so he has to learn these things. And so Paul is making the emphasis in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. In other words, that we must learn to live sacrificially. We must learn to live in such a way that is so endearing and loving to our wives. Not just on Sunday, but... (laughs) That's just an in-joke. But you see, it's, it's, it's a lifelong journey in which the husband learns to, to love in such a way according to how Christ loves the church. And when we look at Christ and we look at the way God, Christ gave himself for the church in, in, in dying for her and uh, laying down his life and all that he did, there's no greater love than to lay down your life, this issue of sacrifice. There lies the basis of the, the love of God, the love of Christ for the church, and there lies the basis of the husband's love for his wife. It, this is how it must be. See, where this love exists, a man's leadership will follow. <coughs> He'll go on to say in verse 27 and uh, 26 and 27, which we're not going to look at only because of the fact that Paul is talking about here the, the church. But listen to what he says in verse 27, that he might present her, oh, sorry, verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. You see, the way Christ loves the church the way Christ deals with the church, the way God works with us to bring about a sanctification and a holiness and to present us holy before him in this work, this disposition of Christ towards the church, towards you and I, is a disposition that Paul is capturing and is highlighting and he says this must characterise the husband's disposition towards his wife in terms of learning to understand who she is and, and then begin to love her in such a manner to, to see things change and to be transformed. And to love a woman in this, in this way is, for the most part, generally speaking, just doesn't come natural. This has to be learned. But it's required. And you know, it's easy just to say to a woman, submit, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the man. But you see, it doesn't just work like it doesn't work like that. 
Oh, it would be good, easy if it did, but doesn't. It's actually learning to love in this way that then breeds these things and, uh, and God's order finds its expression. But don't worry, I've used the word too, just as you, some male, all males have at some point, I'm sure. Sorry, it's just me, is it? <laughs> Must be. Let's continue because husbands, look at verse 28. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. Now this is interesting because a man, again, I think Paul understands the male ego. He understands how males are. And males, they don't think twice about thinking of themselves, right? <laughs> Let's be honest. You know, we can say, oh, look, you know, the wife says we need this, oh, we don't, can't afford it. And then it's like, oh, but then the male wants something and it's like somehow we find the money to get it, you know? <laughs> Men and their toys and their gadgets. Men, if we can love our wives the way we love ourselves, then Paul sees that we're on the road to success. And in doing that, we can learn to... And that's, how, that's what marriage does. Especially not only when you get married, also when you start to have children. Because all of a sudden, we grow up as, as single men and we're just like, oh, well, we get money, spend it on myself. Live it up, man, I've got plenty of it. Then you get married and then it's divided amongst the wife and then all of a sudden you've got kids and it's like, I've got nothing. <laughs> all the money comes, it's this, it's that, it's this, it's that... And it's, it's in, in the way that it works. But this is where, uh, this is how God I, breaks the male ego, I believe, and uh, causes us to love the way that we should love, serve the way that we should serve, and love our wives the way that God would have us to do so. And so, Paul begins to say, Treat, uh, Love your wife as you love yourself, and you'll do well. Verse 29, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. And so what's interesting is Paul talks about now why we are to love our wives as we love ourselves because he's drawing upon a deep mystery of marriage that is highlighted in Christ and the church. Now listen to what he says in verse 29 and 30. For no one ever hated his own body but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body of his flesh and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So he's saying that in Christ we have a union with Christ having been born of God, born of the Spirit, Christ in us, us in Christ, there is a union. We are bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. There is a union that we have with Christ and that union is really captured and illustrated in marriage. In actual fact, marriage really reflects spiritual realities of the Trinity and also of Christ and the church. And so it's important for us to see that because the two, a father, uh, um, uh, what does it say here? For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So in marriage, through the consummation of the marriage, because that's a spiritual thing as well, that's where it actually takes place. That's why the Bible says if you fornicate and if you sin outside of marriage, every time you sleep with somebody, you are becoming one with that person. That's why people who, have, who are sexually immoral and live in this lifestyle, they generally have a lot of mental issues. Their, 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 their lives get messed up because, because now they're sleeping around with so many different partners and they're becoming one with this one and that plays itself out spiritually. And this is why, but the truth being here is that when in marriage, when that marriage is consummated, the two become one flesh. And so this is what Paul's saying, if, the husband, if we understand that if the husband learns to love his wife, he's in effect loving himself. If only we saw that as the motivation. And so because then, uh, and if we learn to love as Christ loved the church, if we lose as husbands, learn to love our wives in this manner, then, then we'll be fulfilled the saying, happy wife, happy life. Amen. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> and, 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 and again, we can talk about these things and we can smile because we all know that the challenge that's involved in a marriage, the trials and the, the, the challenges. And we, but as we labour towards this, as we diligently give ourselves to it, we, re, we receive the benefits of it. But then Paul goes in verse 33, and I find these words really as a, as, as a conclusion to marriage. Now again, I'm just speaking in a general sense this morning, as you can see, just moving through these things. But in verse 33, it's like he summarised everything that he's just said. And uh, I think that he captures the essence of the very thing that men struggle in and the thing that women struggle in. And that is that, uh, again, for various reasons, because the man can fail and he can be stupid, and he can grieve his wife. And so the, the, woman, the, the woman can struggle to respect her husband. And, the, and the, 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 man, the husband struggles to love his wife as Christ loved the church. See, that's where the weaknesses lie. And so Paul touches upon this in verse 30. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And when these two are flowing between in the marital relationship and we are working towards these things, then we are laying the foundation for a successful marriage. And, uh, and again, it's a process, but this is some, some things that Paul is talking about. I'm not coming to you this morning having all the answers. You can, we have to work that out for ourselves. But these are timeless principles that are in the word of God and if we will accept them, if we will take them and we will apply them, then we will receive the blessing of them. And isn't it interesting that the, the testimony of a Christian marriage is part of the Christian walk and, and part of, of, of showing the world how to live a biblical, true Christian marriage because I tell you, it's got it wrong. we've got it wrong. Now we've got, you know, uh, the woman's going to work and the man's now staying home and looking after the children. That's where we're heading. It's happening. There are already people that are embracing this mentality and it is contrary to the order of God and it's, it, it, and it's, it's flipped upside down and, you, and as a generation the consequences will be reaped in time to come. So having said all that, let me um, just conclude with some thoughts. Again, I'm not going to go into great depth here but I just want to touch upon them because it moves out of marriage and Paul begins to talk about children. Verse 1 of chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And so Paul's stating the fact that even children have a responsibility to obey their parents. And this is right before the Lord. This is the acceptable thing to do. Um, you know, not as a young teenager now and you want to exert our independence and now we're going to live for ourselves. I understand we're growing into maturity and these things happen, but we just can't do what we want. We still have to live in such a way of obedience and honour your father and your mother, uh, which is the first commandment, and it shall be well with you. In other words, if we as children would uh, uh, live li lifelong, lived in this manner, because they, I still have a mother and a father, and so I still have to conduct my, we all have responsibility to conduct ourselves that is honourable to them, and there is a blessing that Paul talks about that is associated with that, that it may be well with you, because the first commandment, or in other words, this commandment has promise, and the blessing that's attached to it is, uh, is, um, is this, that you may be, things may be well with you. If you, if you want to discard your family or your parents uh, and you want to dishonour your parents, uh, then again, you can't escape the laws of God. It won't be well with you. In actual fact, the, the issue is this. Without Christ, the, the, uh, there is a, and it's a spiritual dimension, these things repeat themselves. Doesn't that happen? Haven't you seen it in families? You see, but when, we put, when we're honouring God, when we're doing what's right and all these things, honouring your father and mother, it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. There's a blessing that's attached to it. Verse 4, You fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, 
but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. And fathers not provoking children to wrath is obviously uh, the ability to provoke in them resentment and to cause anger. And again, um, uh, this is where Paul is writing, he's mindful of fathers and again tendencies that can be associated with our own shortcomings and he's highlighting this don't provoke your children to wrath but rather bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord and the role is to teach them to train them to show them over the course of grow, training them as they grow up in, in the word of God and the things of God showing them how to live and how to uh, live a godly life by being an example and admo- admonishing them warning them teaching them and warning them so you down that path this is where it will head this is what will happen because children get to a point where they begin to exercise their own will they begin to make their own decisions and then sometimes they don't make the right choices they make wrong decisions and you, as a parent now you have a sense of helplessness I can't control the situation when they were young I just tell them what they do they didn't do it here's the rod bing 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 sort it out but you can't do that when they're, uh, you know, uh, uh, a certain age. So we warn them. We t- we've taught them. With truth has been deposited in them, and we have fulfilled the role that God has required of us. Uh, and our prayer is that they would, for themselves, serve the Lord. One last thing, if you'll just bear with me, and that is in verse five. Onwards, bond servants, be obedient to those who your masters according to the flesh. You know, I love this scripture, and I have to be honest, because we live in a in a generation, and it's been around for a while, where we talk about unions. I was talking yesterday about this, and I make I like to make emphasis of it because in Australia, we have the union, and the union is, uh, you know, um, especially of the CFMEU, which has the Eureka Stockade and uh, as a flag because you know what we dictate the terms but you see that is a reversal of God's order bond servants be obedient to those who you are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ you see uh, but no, but what we have now is we have this, because we, we, we're disgruntled, not satisfied. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't avenues in which we can try and achieve better outcomes. If that's possible, go for it. Absolutely, I'm all for it. But when we don't get what we want and we want to chuck tantrums, then we're missing out on what God is saying here. You know what, as a bondservant, be obedient to your masters, bringing yourself into submission uh, according to the flesh with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart. Why? Because it's as to Christ. If you're seeing your employer or as harsh or as inconsistent or unjust and it disappears, it taints your heart, then something's wrong with us. Because we must conduct ourselves as unto the Lord and we can't control those aspects, but we can control the way in which we live and conduct ourselves. And this is the point that Paul's making. He says in verse 6, Not with eye service as men pleases, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. You know, there's sometimes there's nothing far greater than having to learn, you know, working a job is character building. It really is. Especially doing a job that you don't don't like. But you have to work. And you have to provide. But it's not your ideal. I I mean, you know, I do what I do. It's not my ideal job, but it was what the Lord opened the door for and many years ago and I've I've walked in that way and it's been a blessing to us. But it's not like my choice of profession. But you know what? It doesn't matter because it's how we go about it. This is what the Lord looks at. And we're not, and especially in our jobs, you know, if you want a workplace, especially if you're involved in sales, everyone's like, you know, hey, hey, and everyone's trying to climb the corporate ladder. Everyone's trying to just run down over everybody. It's all about me. It's about, you know, how workplaces are like. And, uh, but yet we're con- told to conduct ourselves uh, with, not with eye service, we're not men pleasers, we're not just trying to you know, win brownie points, but this is who we are, this is how we conduct ourselves, these are our Christian values and principles and we live uh, and order our conduct right because it's as unto the Lord, because God's really concerned about what's going on in our workplace. 
Doing the will of God from the heart, verse 7, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord. Whether, it is a, whether he is a slave or free. Did you hear that? A slave. Does it? You see, there were aspects of slavery still in times of the Bible and people were still serving in that, in, in that, uh, in that realm. And Paul was saying, listen, what's important here is your mentality. If you can be made free, he says be free. But if you can't, that's your lot at this point in time, then this is the attitude you must possess and how to go about it. And so if we can, the Bible says that God sees that and we will receive a blessing from God because of the manner in which we conduct ourselves. And we just want to complain. And we've all complained. We've all had a wind. We've all said something here and there. But what's important is how we conduct ourselves. And it's not just we as, 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 as workers. Paul will go in verse 9 and he says, And you masters, no one gets out of this. Do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that you, your own, you, your own master, also is in heaven. And there's no partiality with them. He's speaking to Christian bosses, leaders, masters. He's saying, listen, don't think you can just be dictators and harsh with your workers and just treat them like, devalue them. He says, you know what, God sees and God watches. And you have a master in heaven. Don't forget that because if you're going to treat them like that, then you better watch out. He says, in the same way, God will bless those that uh, conduct themselves right. Those that don't, God will deal with them too. And so again, we can see all these practical instructions about having how we walk. Walk circumspectly. Walk with wisdom. Be filled with the Spirit. How to walk in marriage. How to walk in the workplace. How to walk as children and as parents. All of these things are being touched upon. And no, you know, it's not exhaustive by any means, but you can see Paul's mindset as he's writing this, how to walk worthy before the Lord. And he's just touching upon all of these areas to help us to have practical instruction and understanding before the Lord. And so let's take some of these things today and let's continue to, by God's grace to apply them into our lives. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. And I just pray, O oh God, that the words of truth that are contained within these, this book, Lord, that we would receive them, we would, Lord, apply them, we would live them. Help us, my God, to live in this way. Help us to walk worthy before you, fully pleasing you. And though, God, we have our shortcomings, we, Lord, we do sin, we fail, God, help us, Lord, through your grace, help us to overcome. And, Lord, I pray for marriages this morning because, Lord, these are so important in the structure of society, in the structure of, uh, of uh, the home, in the raising of children. There are just so many aspects. This, this, this is the cornerstone, marriage. And Lord, it's imperative that we work, work towards a biblical structure, a biblical model. So Lord, help us in our endeavour to uh, walk worthy before you in our marriages this morning. I pray for all married couples, children, workers, bosses, all Lord God in our own way. I pray your blessing upon each and all in Jesus' name. Amen.